The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. So our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 6, verse 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. So if you haven't already, I do invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. On this, the fifth Sunday of the season of Lent, which we've been talking about the fact that Lent is a season that leads us to Easter, or another way we could say that is Lent is a season that invites us into worship of the resurrected Christ. And what we've been noticing over the past several weeks is that Matthew chapter 6 does the exact same thing. At least the first half of Matthew 6 is extending an invitation to us. Jesus extends an invitation into real worship. Last week, we saw that he extended that invitation to us through the example of prayer. If you remember, he invited us away from empty prayer. Empty prayer is mere external action devoid of any real internal affection for God. We've talked about that repeatedly throughout this sermon because throughout this sermon, Jesus is ultimately inviting us into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of real righteousness of a righteousness greater than that of what the people in his day had seen, a righteousness displayed by the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees, their righteousness was just an external righteousness, just external action, completely devoid of internal affection. And Jesus says, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? You've got to have a greater righteousness than that, a whole person righteousness, where your actions flow out of affections, real affections for God. And he's showing us what that looks like right here calling us away from empty prayer. He gave us two examples, if you remember last week, two examples of what empty prayer looks like. In one, this this is in verses five through eight, which we covered last week. In one, he, he showed us prayer as mere horizontal hypocrisy. In other words, prayer performed horizontally for those who are around me. It's not really about God and and my relationship with him at all. No, it's about I want to be seen as holy, recognized as holy, so that I get the reward of recognition. This is empty prayer. It's just external action, no internal affection. Horizontal hypocrisy showed us a second example, too, of how prayer can be empty through being mere vertical religiosity. In other words, prayer just becomes 
ritualistic action that I perform for God in order to try and manipulate him, get his attention, get him on my side, give me what I want. Jesus invited us away from all of that. He invited us away from empty prayer and he invited us into real prayer where our external actions flow out of real internal affection, real prayer, real worship. And he showed us that the difference is that is rooted in a real relationship. When you pray, pray like this, our Father. Real prayer is rooted in a real relationship. And in our passage this morning, Jesus pauses. Like if you look at the flow of this chapter, he just gives example after example of inviting us away from empty worship practices and into real ones. But right here, he breaks the pattern and he pauses and he does that to give us this extended little teaching on prayer through which he is unpacking what this real relationship looks like. Shades, this is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, the literal heart. This is literally the center of the sermon. At the center of the sermon, we get this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer. Because at the heart of the sermon, Jesus is aiming to unpack what transforms our hearts. A real relationship with the triune God. What, what's going to transform you from merely going through external actions to actually having real internal affections out of which all of that flows? What's going to transform you from horizontal hypocrisy or, or vertical religiosity to experiencing something that's real. It's just having a real relationship. That's what transforms our heart. That's what brings about a heart of transformed righteousness, the greater righteousness, whole person righteousness, where internal and external match. It's a real relationship with God. And Jesus unpacks what this real relationship looks like through the example of prayer. See it with me. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, the nations do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Why? Because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says, look at how the pagan nations pray. The, the, the nations that don't know, that don't have a real relationship with the one true God. Look at how they pray. They, they put on a show of empty religiosity because they're so-called gods, not personal at all. They're not in a real relationship. Their so-called gods are distant. They're disinterested. So they got to put on this performance just to get those gods' attention. Hopefully to convince them through all of their acts of religious devotion to convince them to give them what they want. This is what pagan prayer looks like. like in every religion all around the world that deals with deities of any kind. This is what pagan prayer looks like. It looks like pleading with the gods to get them to center on me. But Jesus says you have a real relationship with the one true God where, where he is your father. You're his child. He's not distant. He's not disinterested. He loves you. He knows you. Is that not what he says right there in verse 8? Father knows you, and he knows what you need even before you ask him. In other words, he can be trusted. Trusted to provide. And that changes and transforms everything. Trust transforms everything. 
Shades, what, what does a real relationship with God look like? A real loving relationship with God look like? It looks like a relationship of faith. Trust. Faith. Faith, according to Scripture, is not merely knowing a set of doctrines or teachings or truths that I supposedly check off in belief. No, faith involves trust. It involves love. To have faith in Christ doesn't just mean I believe He is who He said He was, but I trust Him. I love Him. I want Him. The heart of a real relationship, this is how we're saved, right? We are saved by grace through faith. This is how we come into a relationship with the triune God. By faith. This is how we're justified. By faith. This is how we're sanctified. By faith. This is the heart of a real relationship with God. Faith. Trust. And trust transforms everything. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 9. Look at it. Show it to you. He says, pray then like this. Then. It's Greek word, un means therefore. Jesus literally says in verse 9, therefore, pray like this. Therefore, because of verse 8, because I told you that you have a loving Father who knows what you need, because you have a Father, you're not like the pagans who have distant, disinterested gods. No, because you have a Father who can be trusted Therefore, pray like this. Trust transforms the way you pray. You don't pray like pagans. It changes everything. Trust changes everything. How so? Jesus says, therefore, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the exact opposite of how the pagans pray. Is it not? They they try to manipulate their gods to be all about them. Center on them and their needs. But Jesus says we have a Father who knows our needs and lovingly provides, so we are free. Free from trying to convince Him, persuade Him to center on me and my needs. We are free to be centered on Him and His glory. Hallowed be your name. Chase, do, do you see? Do you see how trust transforms everything? Underlying this entire prayer, all six of its petitions, Lord's Prayer, it's got two halves, three petitions in each half. Underlying every single one of these six petitions is a real relationship of faith, a real relationship rooted in trust, and that trust changes everything. See this with me. In each petition, see, see how trust transforms everything. Petition number one. We've already read it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Trust underlies every piece of that petition. And it starts off, our Father. So it's a close, personal relationship of trust. And we trust him not just because he is our father, but specifically because he is our father in heaven. It means he is a father of 
perfection. Many of you did not have, none of us had earthly fathers. None of us are who are fathers, are earthly fathers who are perfect. Many of you had fathers who were quite the opposite and completely unworthy of any trust. Your father is worthy of trust, not merely because he's your father, but because he's your father in heaven. He is not imperfect at all. He's your father in heaven, which doesn't just mean he is a father of perfection, but he is a father who possesses all power. He's the father in heaven. In other words, he's the God over all, so he can be trusted to provide everything that he promises because he's got the power to do so. He's your father. He loves you. He cares for you. And he's your father in heaven. He's got the power to provide what he promises. Therefore, we pray, hallowed be your name. Name is another way of talking about the essence of who somebody is. This is a prayer for hallowed be you, glorified be you, you be seen to be who you are, holy, trustworthy, glorified. You see right here how trust undergirds that last part of this petition. Because we trust you, God, to provide all that we need, we're free from trying to convince you to center on me, and we are free to center on you. Our Father, who we trust, because you're our Father in heaven who provides all we need, so we trust you. Hallowed be your name. We're free to center on you because we trust you. Trust underlies every piece of this petition. And do you... Do you see how that transforms everything from from being centered on me to being centered on God and his glory? Is that not what we see continue in the next two petitions? These first three petitions, I told you they go together in the first half of the prayer. They all go together. They all build on each other. It's like they're all saying the exact same thing, just in a little bit of different ways. See that with me. Petition number two and number three are in verse 10. Your kingdom come. That's petition number two. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Petition number three. See how these build upon one another? Father, hallowed be your name. When will his name be perfectly hallowed? It'll be when his kingdom fully and finally comes. Christ returns to make all things new. His name will be fully and finally hallowed when his kingdom finally comes because then his will shall be perfectly done. You see, see how these three petitions, they all build on each other, each of them centering on the same thing, namely, not me and my glory, but on the glory of God. Trust transforms everything. It sets me free. It sets us free from praying like a pagan. Trying to convince God to to relate to us lovingly. Trying to convince him to center on me and my needs. I'm free to be centered on him and his glory. But! Perhaps that's causing a couple of questions for you at this point. Jonathan, does this mean, does this mean that I don't ever even mention my needs in prayer? The way you're talking about this, describing prayer, like, like, 
and it being centered on God and all about him and all about his glory, does this mean that I don't pour out my heart in prayer? I don't pour out my struggles, my failures, my anxieties, my, my anger? I mean, we did that psalm series last summer, and it sure sounded like we were supposed to pour all that out. But Jonathan, right now, it sounds like you're saying if I do that, that would be making prayer all about me. Shades, this is where we need to see the second half of this prayer. And it's three petitions, which are all a pouring out of our needs. But I believe we will see that even these, even these are transformed by trust to not ultimately be about me and my glory, but about God and his. See that with me. Let's just look at all three of these petitions. Petitions 4, 5, and 6 and verses 11 to 13. Give us this day our daily bread. That's number four. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. That's number five. A better translation would be forgive us our trespasses, which is probably how you learn to recite this prayer. Or you could say forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Debts makes us think of money, and that's not what this is about at all right here. Then the final petition, number six in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, better translation, from the evil one, from the enemy, Satan. So I read this, and I'm like, finally. Finally, this prayer gets to be about me, my needs. And that's what I see in these three petitions, right? Right? These are prayers for God to meet my physical needs, my spiritual needs. I mean, this feels, just even on the surface of it, it feels very different, very different from the first half of the prayer. I mean, the first half of the prayer, its first three petitions, those were all about God, his glory. This half is about me, my needs. And actually, this feeling of this being, just kind of this division into these two halves, this has this led a lot of scholars, you can read commentary after commentary, where a lot of scholars will believe there is a division in the Lord's Prayer. First half about God and his glory, second half about us and our needs. You've got the first half, which is about the things of heaven. Second half about the things of earth. First half about the things eternal. Second half about the nitty-gritty daily first half about the miraculous second half about the mundane of our daily lives but here's the deal shades i don't think there is a division at all in this prayer but a connection i think i think the first three petitions stand in parallel connection with the second three. Okay, so petition one and four go together. Two and five go together. Three and six go together. I think they stand in parallel. That makes sense? I think they stand in parallel connection. In, in other words, we take these one at a time. In other words, I believe that the prayer for God's name to be hallowed, petition one, is connected to the prayer for him to provide my daily bread. Petition four. Why? 
Why do I think those are connected? Well, first of all, because every scholar will tell you that the prayer for him to provide our daily bread would call to the mind of the Jews the situation in Exodus, where God led his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness, and he provided, literally, their daily bread, manna from heaven. Why did God call his people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. If you read through the Exodus story, it is repeated over and over and over again that they may worship me, that they may worship me. And ultimately, he calls them out to be a nation set apart, and he provides everything they need to be called out and set apart in order that they might be a nation for the hallowing of his name. That's why he provides their daily bread, their daily needs, so that they can accomplish what, so he's providing everything they need to focus on what he's called them to do, namely worshiping him, the hallowing of his name. I think we see the exact same thing right here in Matthew chapter 6. I think we see that God provides our daily needs because that's what sets us free to live for his glory and the hallowing of his name. This is exactly what we see at the very end of this chapter. At the very end of this chapter, Jesus will talk about how God's provision of food and clothing and daily needs will set us free to live for the glory of God. Look at it with me. Matthew 6, look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Didn't I tell you about that back up in verse 7? How they put on a religious show, trying to convince their gods to provide them with everything that they need to get them to center on them. The Gentiles seek after all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So you've been set free to do what? Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things. What you need to be able to do that daily, all these things will be added to you. Oh, shades, shades, listen. You can come to God. I think this is the whole of what we're seeing right here. You can come to God and you can pour out your very real physical needs. You can cast all your anxieties about those upon him because as your father, he cares for you. It's the entire posture that Jesus is depicting of our Father in heaven right here. Yes, bring to him your daily need for bread because he cares about that. And here's the deal. The pouring out of your heart in prayer is what puts you in the posture of trust. Do you see that? Father, I bring to you all of my anxieties because I'm trusting you to meet all of my needs. Shades, when you do that, it glorifies him. God's name is hallowed when you humbly trust him, when you depend upon him. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? Trust transforms even your needs to bring God glory. I bring my needs to you because you are the all-sufficient Father provider. And I trust you no matter what happens. I trust you. And that glorifies him, hallows his name. Do you see how petition four and one are connected? Trust transforms everything. It sets you free. Free from being anxiously focused on meeting your own needs to be focused on the kingdom of God. I think that's what we see specifically in our next parallel connection. 
Our next parallel connection between the second and the fifth petitions. So in other words, I believe that the prayer for God's kingdom to come is connected to the prayer for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I believe that is connected to the prayer for God's kingdom to come. Why? Why? Because how are we made citizens of the kingdom of God? Is it not through the forgiveness of our sins? Which transforms us into ambassadors of that kingdom to show the world what this kingdom looks like by extending the message of forgiveness of sins to others. I I think... I think we see even more clearly that this is what Jesus means in the comments that he makes when he concludes his prayer. Look down at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Okay, Jesus is not saying right here that you earn forgiveness by forgiving others. He's saying You can't be a hypocrite like the scribes and the Pharisees claiming externally to trust God for forgiveness without being transformed to forgive others. It's hypocrisy. You see that. Like, Jesus is saying you can't be like, God, I trust you to deal justly with me and my sins, but not with anyone else's. I've got to ensure justice is taking place there. No, no. Trusting God to forgive me transforms me to be a person of forgiveness. If forgiveness is what I've received, forgiveness is what I give. If it's what's been given to me, it's what I've got to show off. Trusting God to forgive me transforms me to be a person of forgiveness. Putting God's kingdom of grace on display for the hallowing of his name. Trust transforms not just my physical needs it transforms even my spiritual needs to be all about god's glory as citizens of his kingdom we're transformed to display what his kingdom is like we're transformed in other words another way of saying that we're transformed to do his will that becomes clear in the final parallel connection between petition number three and petition number six i don't have six fingers on that hand I think, I believe, that the prayer for God's will to be done, petition three, is connected to the prayer for protection from temptation. It's petition number six. Why? Why do I think that those two things are connected? Because those prayers are easily seen to be two sides of the same coin. God, I want to do your will, so keep me from being tempted not to. Keep me from the evil one who wants me to do his will so that I only do yours. Ultimately putting your kingdom on display for the howling of your name. I trust you in everything because you're my father who loves me and knows what I need. And you're not just my father, you're my father in heaven who has the power to provide what I ultimately need, the power to provide everything you promise. So I trust you in everything. I trust you to provide for my daily physical needs so that I may have life to give for the hallowing of your name. 
I trust you to forgive me and empower me to forgive others so that I might put your kingdom on display. And I trust you to protect me from the enemy and empower me to do your will. Shades, do you see how trust transforms everything? Even the nitty gritty daily physical and spiritual needs that we have. It transforms all of those to be about the eternal glory of God. Shades, this prayer, this prayer does not have two divided halves. One about God's glory and the other about my needs. This is one prayer, one prayer that connects every aspect of your daily life to the eternal glory of Christ. One prayer that takes everything that you might think is mundane and it makes it all miraculous because it unpacks what a real relationship with the triune God looks like. One in which he displays his miraculous glory through your mundane every day. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Everything you do, your every daily need, you, you want to know, you want to know how God's will will be shown forth. It's shown forth in your daily nitty gritty fight with temptation and sin. You want to know how God's kingdom that is coming will be put on display before the world? It's put on display as you show what it looks like as it comes in your own life and you experience a kingdom of forgiveness and grace and you bear witness about a kingdom and grace and forgiving others and extending grace to others. You want to know how the world will see the cosmic hallowing of God's name and you trusting him day by day. They will see the miraculous in the mundane. Is that not the way Jesus describes his kingdom being put on display? It's like a mustard seed, people. I don't know why we can't get that through our heads. It's like leaven. It will not be until the end that its full and final effect will be seen to have leavened all of creation will not be until new creation that that mustard seed is seen to be the greatest and largest tree. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, God empowers all of it, every mundane thing, to be miraculous. He empowers it all to be done to the hallowing of his name. And let me close with this. Here, here's the crazy ironic, miraculous thing. The fact that God empowers you to do everything for the hallowing of his name means he is simultaneously empowering you to do everything for the maximization of your joy. Since the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, have we not seen that the heart of human flourishing the height of human joy is the glory of God. So much that I am willing to be poor in spirit, lose everything as long as I get him. That's how the Beatitudes begin. That's how they end. I'm willing to suffer persecution, lose everything as long as I get the reward of him. He is the greatest thing, the ultimate treasure, the absolute best. And your heart was made 
to be satisfied with nothing less than the best, and the best is Him. This is why prayers that ultimately center on self can never satisfy, even if you got every single thing you ever thought you wanted. But prayers that center on the glory of Christ and the hallowing of his name, they are simultaneously prayers aimed at the satisfaction of our souls. Think of it this way. Think of it this way. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What we're praying, if we flip that coin from showing how that is about the glory of God and the hallowing of his name to showing about how it's the maximization of our joy. If we flip that coin, it's like we're saying this. Our Father in heaven who promises to provide everything we need and has the power to provide everything we need. Give us precisely that. Give us the thing that we need more than anything. Hallow your name. Give us you. Give us that which will satisfy our hearts. Cause your glory to be seen in everything so that my heart erupts with joy in everything. And Shades, that is the very thing that he has promised to do in Romans 8, 28. Has he not promised to work all things for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose? His purpose to display his glory in all things is your good. Your ultimate joy. All things work together for your good, for his glory. So here's the deal, Shades. You can pour out everything in prayer from a posture of trust. You, you can pour out your anxieties over your daily needs. Of course you can. You can pour out your, your anger and your struggles with forgiveness. You can pour out your every failure with temptation. And when you feel defeated by the enemy, you can pour out everything in blunt full force honesty because we pour it out from a posture of trust that even when we don't get what we think we need what we ultimately need is guaranteed that's the posture of trust that i believe i pour out everything and i believe even when i don't get what i think i need i believe that what i ultimately need is guaranteed what I ultimately need is the hallowing of your name, God, and I will get that forever. Is this not how Christ himself prayed? Think of his deepest prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup, the cup of your wrath that I'm about to endure on the cross, on the behalf of the world, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. That is my ultimate prayer because that is what I ultimately need your glory on display for the world to see and Hebrews says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him the joy of the display of his father's glory that would be seen and believed in the heart of every believer and he would win the ultimate reward of his crucifixion and resurrection you and your joy in his glory forever. Shades, this is how we pray. You don't have to pray like a pagan. You don't have to put on a show of vertical religiosity to persuade some distant deity to give you what you need. Because you have a real relationship. A real relationship with your Father who knows what you need and he has promised to give it. Gary. So you don't have to pray like a pagan and you don't have to pray like a Pharisee. Put on a horizontal show of 
hypocrisy for the reward of recognition, which is a temporary reward that you don't ultimately need. Don't pray like that. You don't need that reward. You have a real relationship with your Father who knows the reward that you ultimately need. He has the power to give it, and he's guaranteed to do so. He is guaranteed to give you himself. Trust him. And watch how trust transforms.